Coming up on the Magnificently Huge Podcast, it's Waterworld versus the Postman. Yes, it's the costner Apocalypse. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kind of like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crab all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. Oh, hey there, listener. Welcome. It's the Magnificent Huge Podcast. This is Chris, along with Eric and Brian this week, episode 121, The Costner Apocalypse. What is a Costner Apocalypse, you may ask? Uh, middle 90s, Kevin Costner, coming off a giant high of the Oscar-winning Dances with Wolves, uh, decides to make a movie called Waterworld. It's highly regarded as a giant flop. Definitely was not his highest moment, but it still made money. Uh, so then after that, he decided to make another post-apocalyptic masterpiece, uh, starring himself as the rugged loner who saves civilization uh, from itself. And that's The Postman. And that one is also not very good. It was also a giant flop. Uh, we're surprised that it didn't kill his career right then and there. But it didn't, because that's the bad news of Hollywood. So that's what we're going to discuss. The Mad Max clones, the Road Warrior ripoffs, Waterworld and The Postman. Uh, so, you know, enjoy it or not, uh, but we invite you to stick around. We do have a lot of fun with the fresh shit this week as well. Uh, Brian's got a lot of stuff and watches some TV, and uh, I myself have some uh, Disney Plus news to share with you because uh, I'm digging it. I'm digging it. So, uh, yeah, stick around for that. Uh, if you like what we have to say, send us an email, magnificenthugegmail.com. You can catch us on our Twitter feed, at MagHuge. We're on Facebook, Magnificent Podcast. We're also on Instagram. Or you can head on over to our website, maghuge.com, and uh, follow along there, links and things, uh, etc. So we invite you to like our pages, follow along, share us with your friends and family. Uh, find us on all your podcast preventing sites like uh, iTunes and SoundCloud, etc., etc. So without further ado, the Cosmopocalypse. Thank you. And with that, the magic happens. You betcha. Boom. Welcome to the this show, everybody. This is a everybody. huge podcast. <laughs> where we uh, talk over each we're other. We're all your hosts. And yeah. we say things at the same time. It's because uh, we suck. No, uh, behind the scenes, we're doing this from three different cities. So technically speaking, it's a marvel that we get anything together at all. So... This entire podcast is a miracle. It is every I, week. I liked the use of the word Marvel without referring to comic books. There's a, what, what are you talking about? You can't say the word Marvel without paying Disney. <laughs> you owe them five bucks now. Yeah. Thanks. Well, uh, thanks for that, Eric. That's Eric over there. Say hi, Eric. Hi, Eric. I knew you were going to do that. Oh, and, that's and stupid. Terrorizing that's so Eric stupid. Uh, is Chris. Yeah, this is Chris. Hi, Eric. Okay. I just had to say it as well. Okay. Hi, Chris and Eric. I'm Brian. <laughs> Welcome to the and show. And it's the show. It is the show. This week- uh, Energy. Energy. Uh, we ran out of ideas. The podcast so... edition of Men of a Certain Age. <laughs> that's what this is. <laughs> we ran out of ideas, so it's going to be all about uh, the future. Apocalypses is, is uh, of a very specific kind, so I'm looking forward to it uh, immensely. 
Yeah. Not really, but hey, whatever. <laughs> who's who's we, uh, whose show is that? Who who's hosting this one? What's the what's the count? I th- I'm pretty sure this one's Chris. I think this is ostensibly okay, mine since I I pitched it. Uh, okay, thank God. Because for so, a second yeah. there, I was like, "Uh oh, this isn't my week, is it?" So, how do you <laughs> right. how do you forget that you aren't doing the show? You I just, do you just forget. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, wait, is this my he show? Just, he doesn't. He doesn't think about the podcast. We just say, Eric, we're recording in fifteen minutes, and he shows up and yeah. does yeah. stuff. And you know well, what? When you say that the sh- today's show is about like apocalypse and destruction, I think, oh shit, that sounds like me. I love those. Oh, uh, well, did I pitch this? So. <laughs> no, no, this is specifically about the Kevin Costner version of the post-apocalypse. Ah. Uh-huh. Which is how you know it's Chris's thing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So I pitched it. You guys said yes. So you're stuck with it now. Tough shit. Mm -hmm. Okay. Did we say yes or did we just acquiesce? I think it was. Yeah. I think it was more of an acquiescence. uh, Okay. If anything, which is typically (laughs) how my pitches go. I think I just beat you in a submission. Go something like this. Idea is. (laughs) Idea is usually pitched. We all uh, 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 go along with it. Because if we say I don't like that, it becomes oh yeah. Well, what's your idea? Uh-oh, yeah, shit, I, don't I don't know. Yeah, I yeah. I well, I think yeah. This one came about because it was technically Brian's turn, and he said, "Yeah, I got nothing." And then we threw a dart at the board, and this is what we got. Well, I, f- I feel like we've been kind of been doing my stuff with the fresh shit show, and <laughs> this shit is fresh. Oh shit, it's fresh. This stuff is real. <laughs> Oh, he said it show. there. He said the, the <laughs> oh, word. Damn. It's when he, he I said it. I accidentally triggered the fresh shit. Yeah. I love that Ooh. we stole something directly from Pee Wee Herman, and it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. We've had a week off from the last show, which was, as you said, the fresh extravaganza, uh, where we just talked. We basically lost our cool over Star Wars and bored Eric to death. Uh, so <laughs> that's okay because that my just wife made me was look way cooler. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and then you went into the thing about preacher. My wife was listening to, th- right. to the show. And she's like, "Preacher sounds amazing," except I don't know about all the blood. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it but is amazing. Even the blood's funny. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. So I'm thinking uh, the new week, new fresh shit. Uh, apparently, Brian has a lot of stuff. So how do we want to tackle? I'm this? gonna keep it. I'm gonna keep a lid on it. I got way more than I can possibly ever put into the podcast. Okay. So okay. I'll just, I'll hit highlights. Interesting. Okay. You, you good with that, Eric? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Uh, let's see. Who should we start with? Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Brian, you get to go. Okay. So uh, among the many things I did, um, they were doing a series of award-nominated documentaries at the Valley Art. And I, this one didn't get an Oscar nomination, but I thought it was going to get, an, I guess it got a Golden Globe nomination. I don't know. Uh, but I saw a documentary called Aquarella. A-Q-U-A-R-E-L-A. Aquarella? I'm not sure Something. how it's pronounced. That sounds Be- Latin. Aquavelva. Um, <laughs> Aquavelva. I'm an Aquavelva man. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so this is a... This is a documentary that is wordless. Did, did you guys... I sent you a link to the trailer a few weeks back. Did either, either of you watch that? I did watch it. I thought uh, immediately of going on a Scotsy and how much I wanted to watch that instead. Yes. 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's got a Koyana Scotsy thing going on yeah. in which it is it is solely comprised of footage of the natural world and has no words and the music is by Apocalyptica, which is that like heavy metal string quartet. Yeah, it was very stabbing westward ish to me. Uh, <laughs> um so this this movie is basically about how you know, there's a George Carlin joke about how you know environmentalists are talking about saving the planet and it's like no the planet's gonna be fine the people are fucked <laughs> and this is that in movie form it's it's basically the story of an iceberg that kills everyone on its way to the south you know, to the southern hemisphere um, it, it is about how overwhelmingly like massive and violent and over you know, overpowering water is in all of its forms mm. what you don't realize go ahead no no just, i'm just like was, okay cool he was making an yeah. audible hmm yeah what mm. what, you, what you don't realize um and this is sort of the gut punch the film starts you out with is that if you watch that trailer you actually watched a real man die Cool. On film, so it's like faces of death. Um, it's like faces of death. no, just the just the first thing. But it starts out where like the first thing you see are these guys that are like uh, walking around on the frozen lakes in I don't know where, uh, probably Norway or um, I don't know. They have Russian sounding voices, uh, and you you're not sure what they're up to. They're doing this weird stuff with ropes and and you know spikes. It turns out what they're doing is they're rescuing cars that have sunk into the to the frozen lake. People have driven on the ice where it's too thin. Mm. There's a shot early in the movie and early in the trailer where you watch a car just just go into the water. Well, somebody died when that happened. Um, <laughs> so the movie kind of just punches you in the face with that. It's like, yeah, you just watched a person die. And, it, you know, from there it's like... <sighs> you know, watching glaciers melt and then the like the oceans are are really nasty and uh, it's just it's yeah. amazing art reference, but yeah, it's it's a tense thing to watch. Heady and stuff. it's nothing but water. Do you think it would be a good companion piece to something like, say, Waterworld? Mm. <laughs> Actually uh now that you mention it Kind of yeah. interesting. Um, hmm. Okay. Didn't get the Oscar nod. Uh, my big recommendation here is that if you are an environment artist or a concept artist, you need to own a copy of this movie just for the reference material. Because uh, it, it's great art reference material. Yeah. Uh, I, I watched the trailer and all I could think of was that I would probably be more into going to see it if the soundtrack was different because I didn't, didn't like the music that they were doing at all. Well, Not even a little most bit. Most of the time, there isn't music. Okay. Most of the time, it's just long, slow shots of things. Okay. Um, and the music only comes in to heighten the drama. Like, yeah, Philip like, Glass owns that shit. It's, it's kind of toughed out yeah. Philip Glass. <laughs> like Philip Glass. Or like or Brian Eno. Some, one of those guys needs a new gig. You know what I mean? No, it's... Philip Glass, uh, you know, it's it's like the Danny Elfman thing, except Philip Glass is a different sort of diddly 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 diddly, you know. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Point taken. But it was good. You liked it. Uh, okay. Let's let's shift gears. Um, I went and saw Sticks, uh, the band Sticks, play a concert nice. here in Phoenix. It's not the real lineup though, right? Because uh, 
It's What's a his? lot of the real lineup. Okay. They they um, all hate Kenneth DeBarge or DeBergie or whatever. He's um, Dennis DeYoung. He's out. You said Dennis that DeYoung. name and there. now Dennis DeYoung. Yeah, Dennis DeYoung is out of the band. The guy that replaces Dennis DeYoung is phenomenal. Okay. He's great. Uh, did, so screw Dennis DeYoung. Did they do a good rendition of Babe without Dennis DeYoung? They didn't do Babe. That's one of the few big hits of theirs they did not do. Because they don't um, have any Dennis They didn't Dennis do the best of times either. But, but, but here's the thing that blew my mind. They did Mr. Roboto, which I thought that Sticks would never do without Dennis <laughs> DeYoung. They fucking nice. did Mr. Roboto. What would you say your favorite Sticks song is? Just out of Oh, curiosity. Angry Young Man. Okay. By a long shot. Fooling yourself. Uh, and then come sail away. Really? Right. I've always been partial to Blue Collar Man for some reason. I think it's that grindy yeah. organ thing at the beginning. It just hooks me. Yep. So, I like uh, Blue Collar Man, and I like uh, Too Much Time on My Hands. Yeah. Yep, they did all of those songs, and they do them phenomenally. Those guys are all pushing 70, believe it or not. Yeah. Oh, um, I believe it. I believe it. But they put on a great show. Their drummer is um, mid-50s, and he's, he's outstanding. Yeah. Um... The guy, uh, Larry Gowan, who is the Dennis DeYoung stand-in, he still has his rotating keyboard stand. So his keyboard's just on a spike, and he spins it around, and he plays it backwards and <laughs> gets up <laughs> on the rotating keyboard. Show, because when I go to a show, I really want to watch the keyboard player play hey, keyboards. you got to make it exciting somehow. This guy actually makes it exciting to watch keyboards. The one thing, though, we saw it at the Celebrity Theater, and this is the first time I've gone to Celebrity a number of times this year. It's the first time they've opened the whole thing up, so it actually was in the round and the stage was rotating. Yeah. What I've learned is that sucks. Yeah. Um, it, it's weird. Yeah, I would agree with you. Although... The, the, when the band would turn its... To, so it's facing, like, the other side of the theater, um, Bubba and Schlitz behind me decided that that was time to just talk. <laughs> and so these two fucking drunk motherfuckers are just, yeah, you gotta play the Mr. Roboto, don't worry, got to. And I'm like, hey, shut the fuck up. I don't know if you know this, but the band Sticks is right there playing, and if you'd shut the fuck up, you could hear them. Um, don't talk to Grandpa didn't like say that. that, tough guy. Come yeah. on, you didn't say he that. Thought I it wanted though. to, he man, it I was thinking it. <laughs> Fuck those two assholes. <laughs> I, I don't say anything to, to anybody who talks like uh, Randy Savage. I, I hear that voice and I go, no, you can do what you want. Come on, Oh, yeah, brother. well, these guys were clearly drunk, so <laughs> getting into a fi- an argument with them is going to end badly. So I'm just gritting my teeth and ignoring these fucking <laughs> You gotta play- step into a Slim Jim. <laughs> you gotta play Mr. Roboto, brother. <laughs> the other thing about sticks though so i had always assumed that things like mr roboto were like embarrassments to them because dennis DeYoung is such a cheese ball and you know he's not in the band now sticks has a new album they they released an album in in 2017 called the mission and it's about a manned mission to mars and it's just as dorky lyrically yeah. as anything else they've ever done <laughs> that's shocking 
When you're when you're when you're a seventy year old and your biggest hit from your youth was like some fake musical theater, you'll do it. I mean, because you know, yeah, you're These seventy. Guys it's play not like there's a whole night. bunch of genius coming down the pike. <laughs> yeah, no, they're just out there playing shows and shows and shows, yeah. man. They literally do have they never too much time on their hands. They yes, they do. Okay, <laughs> onward, onward. Okay, I got I got two more movies. I'll try to be brief. But we got to talk about, I got, now I, I got permission to say that this was really not my idea and I was dragged to this one. Okay. Interesting. Tammy and the Teenage T-Rex. Oh, that's the old like VHS 90s deal, right? With uh, it's uh, it's shot on film. It's a real movie, right? But I mean, sorts, but I mean, it, starring Paul Walker and Denise Richards. Yeah, but it came out on video, Paul Walker. Right? Isn't he dead? Yeah, not because yeah, of yeah, this movie. Yeah, he was movie. the Fast and Furious guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and Denise Richards. No, this is like one of the first first movies. This is Paul Walker as teenage football player who dies and whose brain is transplanted into an animatronic T Rex. <laughs> let, oh. let me ask you this. So this isn't the new movie. I get it. No, no. Oh no. Yeah, they yeah they brought Paul Walker back from the dead. <laughs> And put him into a T Rex. <laughs> Does Denise Richards acquit herself in this one though? Does she, or- so that's the thing about this. I think this is the best acting we've ever seen from Denise Richards is Tanny <laughs> in the teenage T Rex. And that's Tanny T A N N Y because they misspell it in the title cards and in the credits. But everybody really? says Tammy. But no, she has to do all these scenes where she's like crying and talking to this animatronic dinosaur head and and she puts more effort into that than to anything else i've seen her do um yeah the whole the whole premise of this movie was some dude had um had to deliver this t-rex from like a natural history museum to uh someplace in texas and they had it for like a month and they were like called up his filmmaker buddy and was like, yo, we've got two weeks to shoot a movie. We've got an animatronic T-Rex. Let's do something with it. <laughs> yeah. And so he just wrote it yeah. in like 24 hours and they just shot this thing. Yeah. And and it's got like Italian horror movie style blood and gut scenes. Nice. Tommy Wiseau's Tammy and the T-Rex. Yeah. There you go. Um, oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> it, <laughs> you got to be in the right mood for it they did they did show a lot because it was at the alamo they showed a lot of italian horror trailers so there was like the trailer for don't look in the basement which would say things like to avoid fainting keep repeating it's only a movie now did you get drunk for this one um yes okay because when of course i got when you went and saw come on you went and saw cats and you basically just predicated that with you couldn't get drunk enough so I'm wondering if this was the same thing. <laughs> I mean, Tanny and the T-Rex is deliberately lame, right? They know it's a dumb movie when they're making it. Okay. It's it's about a T-Rex. Yeah, with Paul Walker's brain, which is basically fast yeah. and furious, let's be real. Pretty much, okay. yeah. It, it was basically Vin Diesel as the T-Rex and Paul Walker <laughs> as his brain. That would be something. Um, I think that was Fast and Furious Seven, really. I mean, don't don't think it can't happen. Uh, <laughs> don't hold your breath. Okay. Mm. 
So yeah, I don't know if there's much to say about it. If you're in the mood for schlock, it's schlock. Go watch it. Yeah. Um, and I'll try to end on a on a big note. Uh, went and saw Academy Award nominee 1917. Nice. Oh. Sam new movie. How's I almost, that? Almost saw it, but I couldn't get it together. Yeah, it is tense and dark, and I mean, it's a World War One film. But yeah, that's what I'm that, down for. Yeah, that was the thing that you know Jolie came out of, it and she was like, you know what I liked about it is that they didn't in any way, shape, or form glorify war. That was nasty through and through. And I'm like, yep. Yeah, it's sort of the conundrum of the anti-war film, though, is that they still do really super cool battle scenes, and it kind yeah. of makes you kind of want to do war for that little five minute. The one period. not in this one. The one thing though with World War One is that was the first technical war, and they didn't quite work out yet things like what you shouldn't be allowed to do to another human being. Right. So they had mustard gas and uh, shrapnel bombs and yeah. you know like nasty shit that we. I guess have laws against now, but yeah. So it's it's mostly not about battles. It's mostly in real time following these two guys who are dispatched to the front lines to tell the uh, the the British troops that they're walking into a death trap and to abort their mission. And so he, they've got to get to them uh, before everybody dies. But largely, he's covering territory that is not being contested. It's just strewn with dead bodies and rats and filth. And it's kind of it's yeah. kind of a movie version of the last twenty seconds of Gallipoli. Sure, because in that one, he has to run to stop the oh shit! Bang, 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 bang. Yeah, but it's like two hours of it, and and it's mostly shot as though it's one continuous take. Yeah. There is a moment where the screen goes black and they. Some time passes Ooh, and you yeah. don't know how much. Well, what I did learn Indeed. from the uh, this like when you go to Cinemark or any theaters and they do like the forty minutes before the movie trailer start and it's all the promo mm-hmm. shit. They did a whole thing on nineteen seventeen, and you talk basically talking to Sam Mendes about how they had to sit around all day and wait for the proper cloud cover to appear yeah so that they could get continuity <laughs> in their lighting and they say basically we just sat around all day to get like two seconds of a shot i mean it was like that sounds horrible and it's mm. all outdoor yeah. yeah it's i mean it's it's roger deakins if if he doesn't get the cinematography oscar for this i mean i say that every time he makes yeah. a movie but like, this one jesus screwed him for blade runner 2049 so yeah they really did um there's a there's one sequence that is in this just completely destroyed French town. It's just all rubble and and partial buildings. Um and it's in the middle of the night and the the scene is lit because they're shooting flare guns in the distance. And so you hear the flare guns get shot and the sound and it's the sound is panning. You never actually see the flares. But the light is just constantly going up and moving to the side and shifting and coming down, and the shadows are moving, you know, relative to the flare, and the whole thing is shot like one big long, long take, and he's it's like cat and mouse with with these guys and a couple of German soldiers in this fucked up ruins of a town. Okay, it's a it's a tense ass movie. Do you think it will give Joker a run for its money? I think it's a better movie than Joker. Do I think the Academy knows that? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. 
who, who yeah, cares? Yeah, see, that's the thing. The Academy Awards are not important. They're all marketing. We we pretend like there's some kind of merit in them, but it's really just, I don't know, I- instead of getting people to go to a movie, now they're getting people in an Academy to vote for a movie. That's all that's going on. Yeah. Well said. Well yeah. said. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's always been that, and it's always been campaigns for for yeah. for Oscars. But when we were I kids, mean, we thought is... it was a big deal because we thought maybe there was some kind of actual, I don't know, democracy to this, you know, or, or <laughs> yeah. smart people who know art were putting this thing together. And then yeah. we realized, nah, it's just as yeah. much bullshit as everything else in life. Yeah, and then we realized Doctor Doolittle won Best Picture. Yeah, yeah. something fishy going on here. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember the last time anybody really ran out to watch the life of Emil Zola. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll go back to that one yeah. film. I, I've only know I only know the title. I know Emil Zola, but I only know the title of that film, and I've never seen it played anywhere or mentioned except by me as an yeah. asshole. Yeah. <laughs> Again, well, well asshole, said. you should go see 1917. But uh, since you haven't done that, you got to tell us about what your fresh shit is. Oh my god, I have been cracking out on The Expanse. I I poo pooed mm. this show a while back because uh, I watched like the first episode and I was like, dude, I okay, whatever. I yeah, I, I watched I just like was, three episodes and I'm like, what's with the hype? Uninv- yeah, I was wholly uninvested in it, and so then I was like, all right, come on, let's give it another shot. And I watched it, and I watched the next one, and I I was like, all right, a couple more, let's get it cooking. And then it takes off at a full gallop, and it's, okay, it is relatively hard science fiction, because there's not a whole lot in this that isn't either technically or feasibly true, right? There's a couple of things they stick in there, like an engine that can get them around the solar system that you need if just for storytelling but otherwise the sure. science is all dead on they don't have artificial gravity they have uh you know force of acceleration from the engines giving them gravity or they have magnetic boots they explain everything it's yeah cool. it, it's great it's everything i i wanted in star trek you know and have to overlook for star trek this is like all the this is the real shit. And because it's all real shit, you really believe everything that's going on. And there's a lot going on in this. There in in this world, the Mars has been colonized for a couple of centuries. Uh people are in the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter mining ore and ice and whatever to basically keep keep Mars and Earth in business. Uh, there are stations on the moons of Jupiter to grow food for the people who live on the belt. And it's an entire like class system in, in, in collapse. Earth is, okay. is the dominant force. Mars is the second banana that keeps trying to terraform. Uh, but they've, they've built up an impressive military and any day they're going to invade and destroy Earth. The belters are all sort of the low rent workers who are just sort of the shit rags of the human race. And they're pissed about it. Uh, And they, you know, everyone relies on what everyone else produces. And so they're just constantly just they've been on the verge of, you know, destroying each other for years. And then someone discovers a spore 
from outside of the galaxy that is some other life form that completely rips apart and destroys life and then remakes it. And so everyone looks at it like it's a weapon, but it's possible that it's also our next evolution. It's, it's really heady stuff. And at the same time, really well so, done suspense, really well done sci-fi, really well done action. So it's like allegory thinker. for the first, second and third worlds, but also annihilation. Or not, you know, it's like, <laughs> is it annihilation or is it, you know, it's like, okay, well, we're going to fight to not be annihilated by the spore. And the whole time I keep thinking, why? Absolutely nothing you're defending is any good. Mars sucks. <laughs> Earth sucks. The belt sucks. Ganymede sucks. Everything sucks. It's like, and there, Thomas Jane is in the first season and most of the second season and he is obsessed with this woman that he was told to find for her parents. And he, his whole mission becomes, you know, he loses his job over it. He loses, he loses everything over trying to find this girl. And he, in the end, he's like the, the most anti everything character. And he's the one who at the end of his story in season two is like, no, I, I don't think this this level of destruction is such a bad thing. <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah, that's a great lesson. I like giving up. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> Upon further reflection, the human race should go away. Yes. Yep. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. it's really well done, and like I said, I've been cracking out on it hard. I there are not many episodes that where you go, oh, that wasn't necessary. You're just doing this to drag something out. You know, <laughs> most all of the episodes work. Oh, and there is a character who is a uh, she's a, a, a she leads a fire team of the Martian Marines. It's I don't know the name of the actress. She's a uh, Samoan uh, New Zealand woman. And she just beats the fuck out of people. I mean, it is so great watching <laughs> this girl who is. Uh, I say girl because she looks like a girl and she's short and they and stocky and it makes sense because of, you know, she's she's just she's just a wholesale badass who's been training as a marine for years and years and years. And she she's just like Vasquez. Yeah, she just goes off the hook like a a few times on people and it's yeah, you know what, even the fight choreography is is brilliant. But uh yeah, I just love this show. So there's like what four seasons of this now? Yeah. And are they like twenty episodes or ten episodes? Like how long is this? Um, I think uh, I'm thinking about eighteen each. Because um, I, I I show up with like I've got you know a bunch of movies and Eric's like yeah but I watched like you know eighty <laughs> episodes of this one series. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's I the can't same. compete in it's that It's the level. same thing. It's, but this is the thing. Eric never leaves his house, whereas you do. Nope. So it's kind of a, a trade-off, right? There you go. We're, we're here for all of you. Yeah. Right. There's, and there is a, uh, a, 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 an actress in this. Um, I'm going to like mangle this name. Uh, Shore Vaziri Tabar. Um and she's the 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 I think the secretary of the UN. I don't quite get her title, but she's like one of the power brokers on Earth for the UN, which is the governing body of Earth. She's an Iranian actress who's like in her fifties or so, and stunning woman, very very regal, 
but fucking hilarious in just how um, to the bone she gets with people. I'm going to have to pull a clip and play it for you. But it's so funny when she's she's just telling people, I'm, I'm not bullshitting with you anymore. And, uh, <laughs> and you, you like watch her walk around like a queen and then just on a dime turn around and say, I am shut the fuck up. I it's it's well written. <laughs> it's well cast. I God damn it. I love this show. <laughs> Are you going to read the books when you're done? I think I am. I think I am. Because uh, a friend uh, of mine at work has read the books. They're really fat, though. So be prepared for uh, a lot of reading. That's the way to do it. Right. Watch the thing and then read the book. Yeah. Because then you can enjoy both. Yeah. In theory. Yeah. <laughs> in theory. And, well, the problem, I think, with usually with watching something and then reading it is that the movie has now cast it for you and you can't break free of, you know, like with Harry Potter, I had I had read the first two. Then I saw a Harry Potter movie. And from then on, everything I saw while reading it came from the movie. Yeah, but I didn't have a problem with that. Yeah, cause I did. Because it's Harry I kind of liked I kind of liked having my head make me you know, make the scenery and casting decisions. Oh, you want to use your imagination. <laughs> Come on. Hey, I'm not the one who wanted to read in the first place. They made me do it in school. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck them. Okay. Yeah. All right. What else you got, Eric? Seriously. Eh, I'm going to stop there. He's like, I watched four seasons of Damn Expanse. What do you expect yeah. from me? I'm going yeah. to I'm gonna shame you and say, nah, I'm good. Yeah. Oh, uh, <laughs> no, I'm good. Because here's the other thing. is that <laughs> Eric watched the entire thing in four days. That's the other thing he wanted Kinda, to write. Kind of. I cleared I cleared two seasons out of four in like, you know, like a weekend. Jesus, Jesus. Lord. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I always think I'm so doing Chris, a good- what do you got? I always think I'm doing good when I can clear like I, two episodes in a row of something. Yeah. I, I like to point out that I also changed uh, uh, some electrical outlets and had sex with my wife. So it's not like I just sat there watching TV. Okay. <laughs> He did that while he was watching the show. He <laughs> well, was yeah, yeah the totally. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. That's what the iPhone's for. Stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm glad God. she doesn't listen to the show. Chris, save us. <laughs> uh, the only thing new, uh, and then we'll get into the, the Disney thing that we've been teasing, because uh, I really yeah. want to share some stuff yeah, with you. Yeah, it's going to happen. Uh, have either of you seen this new Dracula thing on Netflix yet? I tried. That looked so stupid. I, uh, I've heard of it. It's, I hear it's Stephen Moffat. Yeah, it's it's Stephen Moffat and Mark Gatiss, uh, the guys responsible for Sherlock and Doctor Who stuff, and they have reworked Stoker's novel into a, a limited series. It's three parts, like an hour and a half each, uh, and it's basically the book to a degree, uh, and they get really sort of cute with it. Uh, the first episode, super strong. So they Sherlock it, basically. They're, kind, they're... Kind, I mean, but it's Stephen Moffat, so you know exactly what you're getting when you go in, honestly. Uh, which which is going to be a great setup and a bad ending. Yeah, basically, yeah. It, yeah. It's uh, a, a strange mixture of cute and ultra-violent. Yeah. And the first episode is really strong, really entertaining. They stick to what the essence of Dracula is, and it's fun. The second one is still interesting, but it's sort of the the boat ride over to England thing. Uh, so it's sort of like a weird monster movie. Uh, like, you know, we're trapped with the monster kind of thing. And then they they throw in just a left-to-center twist towards the end. And then the third episode, it's just sort of anticlimactic. 
But it's worth it for the first so episode. Stephen Moffat. Yeah. It's worth it for the first <laughs> you- 90 minutes, but otherwise, yeah. Yeah, but how how is it without the over-the-top hamminess of Gary Oldman? Uh, he, really, I, he really... I want to visit your country. Yeah, he really put his stamp on the, the character of Dracula yeah. uh, to this day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the guy that plays Dracula quits himself nicely, but I, I guess there's some online chatter that people are pissed because he's, like, in his 50s. And they're like, Dracula shouldn't be an old man. And blah, blah, blah. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> you know, so... Have you not seen Bela Lugosi yeah, or Gary Oldman? Seriously. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, they do, like, a weird twist uh, on the Van Helsing character, which is fun. Uh, Mark Gatiss ends up playing Renfield which is kind of fun. So it's sort of uh, the, the parts are better than the whole kind of thing. But if you just kind of want to lark and want to kill some time, I would recommend it. It's not too bad. You know, Mark, Mark Gatiss strikes me as the sort of person that you just would really, really not want to talk to. I don't like, know. He's, he seems fun. Most- I don't know him by name. Who is he? He's uh, in Sherlock. He plays uh, Mycroft, Mycroft, his brother. Oh, uh, he was. Oh, oh, oh! Wait a minute. Oh, okay. Mycroft. Yeah. Okay, now I know. And then yeah. he was in uh, what was it? Uh, League of Everything. League of Gentlemen. He's in everything. Yeah. He's just a very all-around but he, fun fellow. But he fella. always, always plays the condescending smart guy. Yeah. Right. Like it's not just Minecraft. That's that. That's typecasting for him. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know. He plays Minecraft. <laughs> yeah, plays he's Minecraft. Mine- yeah, I play Minecraft, Minecraft Holmes. Holmes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ah, yeah. uh, so there you go. So that's the only thing new. How was he? Kind of blocky. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> but otherwise, uh, I've got this free trial at Disney Plus, and I've just been watching the shit out of it. I got to be honest with you. Like, I would almost consider paying for this service. God help me. Uh, because it's just there's just for the apple dumpling gang no no not just for the apple dumpling gang but that's a bonus uh Uh but yeah so i think the i watched a bunch of muppet stuff which was nice because i hadn't watched it in a while and the muppet movie is still goddamn hilarious um and then i've been watching some of the world according to jeff goldblum (laughs) And haven't haven't pulled the trigger on that one yet, but I, I, I was at a restaurant where uh with my boss and he ordered a bottle of wine and the chick came back to the table and couldn't figure out how to open the wine bottle and asked <laughs> us to open it for her. And it was just a metal twist cap, but I I said to him, I said, Would you like to sniff the bottle cap? <laughs> Sparkling Muscatel, one of the finest wines of Idaho. Uh, uh, well, you may serve us now, please. Oh, May I? Look how he does that. Yep. Very suave. Don't you want to smell the bottle cap? <laughs> I don't think he got the reference. I think I'm too old and he didn't yeah. get them up in movie. And, and actually, for, for all those young people listening to the show, I just want to point out uh, 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 when Brian referred to the chick, he meant the waitress. That's the thing we old guys do. Yeah. Oh. We yeah. refer to women as broads and dames and chicks. <laughs> yeah. and- so there you go. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. Uh, <laughs> You're clearing it all up for yeah. for for all. For yeah, all uh, yeah, kind of yeah. Uh, yeah. They call me uh, woke. They call me woke. Yeah. yeah. So uh, a few weeks back, uh, I challenged you to give me a title from the '70s to absorb, and that I would do it, no questions asked. Uh, 
and Brian. I was gentle. Yeah, Brian. Uh, for I some reason, gentle. for some reason, just pulled Apple Dumpling Gang out of his hat uh, from 1975, starring Bill Bixby. It's got Tim Conway, Don Knotts, uh, Harry, Harry Morgan, as we all know, as uh, Colonel Potter. Uh, basically, it's just uh, orphan kids end up under the care of a gambler, and then they inherit a mine and strike it rich. And Conway and Knotts are bumbling idiots who. Uh, it's it's ridiculous. It's family fair to the nth degree, uh, whatever. But I will tell you that if you watch Apple Dumpling Gang, then you have to watch the sequel from 1979, Apple Dumpling Gang Returns, which is superior in every single way. I'm here oh, to tell dear. you. Uh, because they, uh, they scrap all is, of the kids' shit. Is it still Tim Conway and Don Knotts? Yeah, that's why it's superior, because they scrap all of the family bullshit, and they basically make it around Tim Conway and Don Knotts as bumbling idiots uh, striking out on their own, (laughs) uh, who basically wind up uh, (laughs) getting uh, involved with uh, a conspiracy for a fort in the middle of nowhere uh, where its munitions are being stolen and sold to gangs, uh, outlaws, etc., and then they wind up burning the fort down through an accident, and so then they go to like a Leavenworth type prison, and then stumble upon the gang that's actually uh, headquartered out out of this prison because no one will think that the gang is in prison. Uh, the whole thing is just so <laughs> ridiculous. So Tim, Tim Conway and Don Knotts are arms dealers who end up in the in the joint and go to Oz or yeah, whatever. Yeah, and so uh, okay, but it's okay because they're bungling and wacky. Yeah, uh, but that <laughs> one kids. Yeah, but that one's got the added uh, bonus of having actors like Kenneth Mars, who is the the constable guy from Young Frankenstein with the fucked up arm. Uh, he's one of my favorite actors. He plays like a white Earp type who's just so full of himself. And they basically drive him insane with their bumbling because <laughs> uh, he tries to arrest him. And then they end up making like a Tom and Jerry cartoon. He just winds up getting uh, really physically hurt uh, until his spirit breaks. And then he literally loses his mind. It's like, so, what so is Tell this? the kids in the audience a little bit about who Tim Conway and Don Knotts are. Uh, if you don't I think, know... I think that would matter. Uh, Don Knotts was uh, Mr. Furley. He was uh, Barney Fife. Uh, that's all you need to know. He was uh, Incredible yeah. Mr. Don Knotts, the lanky dude with big bug eyes who <laughs> yeah. who makes awkward faces and, and yeah, yeah. seems like anxious all the time. And, and left the Andy Griffith show to like have a great big movie career and didn't. Oh, he did too. Yeah. Shut your face. No, he didn't. Uh, and, and and your grandparents thought he was funny. <laughs> and then Tim Conway was from Carol Burnett's show. He was dwarf. Uh, he's just a bumbler. They did a bunch of these Disney ones <laughs> in the 70s. References. I'm like, explain to the young people what these people are like. And you're like, yeah, hey, he was in this thing you've never heard of. And the other thing, dwarf, nobody fucking knows yeah, who, this what is dwarf a, is. Very I love, bad rabbit hole. I love the fact that Brian thinks that uh, young people listen to our show. So Yeah, I, yeah that's, <laughs> that's fair. Awesome. Well, that's because old people can't figure out how to subscribe to a podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Tim Conway is one of the genius subtle physical comedians like yeah. his his routines would unfold as they'd take as long as they needed to unfold but he would get himself into some wacky physical comedy yeah as in a slow burn kind which of they, way which they do yeah. which they do and he was he was a, a brilliant uh 
part of the comedic duo that was him and Harvey Corman. Yeah. Uh, and of course, you all know who Harvey Corman is. <laughs> of course. And they would yeah. they would do these bits, and Harvey Corman would try not to laugh because. He's trying to do his job, and <laughs> and, and, and and um, Tim, Tim Conway. Conway would just relentlessly not smile and keep pushing a bit on him until yeah. he was just crying, trying not to laugh. Yeah, it, was, it was such a joy. Their outtakes uh, are amazing. Uh, yeah, those outtakes, the I thought that was the, the routine. Stuff that went to air, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I will tell you this, too, because this is the other thing that struck me watching both of these uh, I'm going to blow your mind here, I think, in a minute. Uh, it's what I'm going to call the Harry Morgan multiverse because Harry Morgan is an Apple Dumpling Gang as a character named Homer McCoy. He's also an Apple Dumpling Gang Rides Again as a totally different character in the Apple Dumpling Gang <laughs> universe. And then I started thinking, how many times has this happened? Because on MASH, he plays Colonel Potter, but before he was Colonel Potter, he was some crazy general in some episode. So in the MASH universe, he's also two different characters. And then, cherry on top of the cake, uh, I thought, holy shit, if you go back to the James Garner movies, support your local sheriff and support your local gunfighter, Harry Morgan is in each of those as different characters. And I went like, what huh. in the fuck is going on? How many times has Harry Morgan been in a series of movies where he played two totally different characters? It's phenomenal. <laughs> you know, early in his career, he was known, his, his name was Henry Morgan. Like when he was in uh, Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. Yeah. You know, it was, uh, maybe he had an agent who was, who was really a go-getter. And so he would go back to producers and be like, Hey, yeah. can, how about Harry Morgan? Can, hey. can he be in it? Well, we already had him in that. other. Okay. I got this other guy, Henry Morgan kind yeah. of does the same thing. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, or he's a character actor. Yeah. He, but yeah. it's just, it's just funny. So, uh, I'm going to start looking for that to show up in other, uh, things. Cause that was just, that's three different film universes that he shows he up. He was in, uh, the TV show Dragnet, and he was also uh, in charge of the two bungling detectives in the film version. As Dragnet. the same character, was he playing? Yeah. Oh, okay. He was. I was gonna, yeah. That's what I was going to ask. He was still Frank Gannon. So yeah, I looked it up because that was the other thing I thought. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> so I had to make sure. <laughs> I remember that time you also obsessed over songs with the the name Superman in them. Oh yeah. And just like watching you go insane, go, oh yeah, that's that's one too. <laughs> yeah. We've like, got a Spotify one. We We've, did a segment about this on one of our yeah, shows. We actually, we actually have, have, a, have uh, we have a Spotify playlist full of Superman songs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, go look it up. Uh, go to our website, maghuge.com, find the super comma man episode. And, uh, yeah, yeah that, you'll there will it. be a link to that playlist. So, uh, yeah. So now, uh, I challenge you to give me another one that you think I'll hate, which I'll end up loving from the 1970s. All right. I'll have to do that when we're not recording because yeah, yeah. I'm not you, prepared. You think about it. Oh, I've got one. Yeah. Um, uh, God damn it though. It, yeah. We'll, we'll come back to that when we're not recording. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So no, I've I'll had enough of it this. out in like the next 20 seconds. Do it. But you guys go ahead. <laughs> well, do it. Christ. I'm going to say that's it for the fresh <laughs> shit. All right. So Chris, we're, <laughs> yeah <laughs> we're uh your god we're, the, we're the, the the movies we're talking about are each three hours long and and we the podcast well, yeah, might be to, two to but be, let's do it to be fair Waterworld is not three hours long it just feels like it it's like two hours and 52 minutes <laughs> no it is it, not no it isn't I'm, it can't I'm looking be. it up 
I'm gonna look it up. It okay. was long. Uh, I'm gonna look. <laughs> I'm gonna look it up too. And then yeah, two hours and fifty six minutes. I'm sorry, I was short. <laughs> it's a, mine on uh, Wikipedia says it's 135 minutes. Depends on what cut you watch. Yeah, because there are multiple cuts. Uh, but anyway, to to give a quick lowdown on what this is about, uh, in the mid nineties, Kevin Costner had started to sort of lose his luster, shall we say politely. Uh, Candle shoe. <laughs> okay, I'll watch Candle That's shoe. The film Candle shoe. All right, I'll fucking watch that shit. Okay. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> Kevin Costner's coming <laughs> off of uh, a hell of a run from like Silverado in 85 up through uh the late 80s with no way out and what else the untouchables bull durham, durham like just untouchables my, yeah yeah field of dreams i mean he was just a massive star so in 1990 and you he, can see where he might get tired of making films people wanted to see <laughs> yeah well it i think it, well, it all starts dances it, with wolves is where it all goes to shit yeah. right so he makes he makes dances with wolves in 1990 directs it stars in it uh, pulls like a fucking Clint Eastwood, uh, and the thing goes gangbusters and wins the Oscar, and then suddenly everybody wanted a piece of Costner. So then they ended up doing uh, what Prince Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, with his buddy Kevin Reynolds, and that made a shit ton of money, even though it's a horrible, horrible movie. Uh, <laughs> and so they thought, how can we top this? Well, hey, let's do this thing called Waterworld that's been kicking around from Corman, uh, and he didn't want to produce it. So fuck it, and so basically, it's a Mad Max ripoff. When, when Roger Corman is dragging his feet <laughs> making a film, yeah. well, maybe you should think about this. Well, I like the idea though that it's a Roger Corman film, the the master of making you know schlock on on a budget, and then saying, you know what, this movie really needs though more, more money. money. Yeah, let's pour more money into yeah. this. That's what made Roger Corman films work. Yeah. So in uh, in 1995, Waterworld comes out, and basically it's a Mad Max ripoff. That's how it started. It was just somebody going, "Hey, let's just rip off Mad Max, but we'll put a twist on it." So instead of a desert on, on the water, yeah, they'll put it on the water. Uh, like the whole world is just basically nothing but ocean, and they're somehow looking for mystical dry land. They're living on like atolls, uh, driving boats, and there's miraculously uh, one oil tanker which happens to be the Exxon Valdez left floating in the ocean with enough gas to get him through, I guess, a couple of hundred years. Because <laughs> yeah, basically... Like, boy, do they have a lot of gas. Yeah. Uh, and that's piloted by the bad guy played by Dennis Hopper. Uh, <laughs> he's who, the only one yeah. who knows what movie he's in. Yeah. yeah. And he's basically... Yeah, he's as coming, usual. He's coming off of like uh, doing the bad guy in speed. It's full-on like hammy Frank in, Booth mode. He's in his paycheck mode. You know, it's like yeah. this is in between Speed and uh, the Mario Brothers movie. Yeah. You know, so he's really rocking it. Uh, and then you got Costner, who didn't direct, but he might as well have because I guess he's such an ass uh, that he and Kevin Reynolds, the ostensible director, just butted heads through the entire thing. Yeah. Well, Reynolds eventually quit and Costner finished the movie. Yeah. Because it went way over budget. So I love the fact that it, it's one of those movies where the myth of the fucked up production sort of outweighs the movie itself. So people started calling it Kevin's Gate. Uh, they started <laughs> calling it Fish Tar. 
mm-hmm. I thought those were awesome. My favorite, though, when I walked out of the movie, I just went, wow, I just saw Moist Max. That's basically what I watched. <laughs> uh, Here's the thing about Waterworld, though. It's kind of fun to watch. It's, it's got some great stunt work. Yeah, it's very interesting. Well, to the to the fact that the Universal still does the stunt show for Waterworld. Yeah, apparently, I saw it a couple of years ago. It's again, at Universal Studios. That is so crazy. Twenty five years later, uh, well, there's some crazy stunts like where where like he's up on the on the rigging of the boat, and and I don't remember what happens, but he gets flung off of it and into the water like meters away he's climbing up to the top of the mast which has been like caught on something he has to cut it loose oh and yeah the airplane that, that releases the tension on the boat yeah. and then just sort of catapult pitches him into the water. Yeah. yeah i thought that was neat which yeah. i like the diving bell scene when they go down to look at what's become of new york yeah where he's getting you all the realize dirt. you're like yeah a mile down it's it's all city and buses yeah and submarines and things so there's there's some goofy ideas, but I think they pull it off reasonably well. I mean, I went and saw it when it came out that year, and I was entertained. Uh, it's not the best movie ever made, but it's acquitted well. You know, I remember laughing. I was laughing. I thought it was ridiculous, and, oh, and yeah. I think that uh, it took a Roland Emmerich to come along and say, <laughs> "No, what makes all this work is the moment of destruction, yeah. not the years following." Yeah. What, what well, makes it work is the fact that. It's a pre-CGI spectacle movie, so it literally all is, this crap yeah. is practical. Yeah, it's literally right? one of the like, last movies where you're going to see that, honestly. Yeah, like there's there's so much stunt and so much set building. I, I don't quite understand how these people who've been living in the ocean for you know hundreds of years with no land have done as much metalworking as they have. <laughs> exactly. I certainly don't that's, know where they're yeah. getting all the cigars and cigarettes from. Yeah. Well, that's the thing uh, with the, the bad guy. They call them smokers. And they're just basically driving around on like ski doos and and like big tankers, and so they've got all this gas. Uh, it would have made more sense if there was like you know like colonies of cruise ships that sort of got lashed together. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's like if yeah. you if you take everything on all of the cruise ships and you kill a lot of people, so that there's less users of that stuff, then it kind of makes yeah. sense. You can create an economy out of that. Yeah. But they didn't. Yeah. They didn't have that much thought. No. Well, basically, it's just they ripped off Road Warrior, uh, story beat by story beat. I mean, it's. I remember watching it in the theater, just going, "Oh Jesus Christ, give me a fucking break!" Because it's literally like he winds up in the the siege colony, uh, and then has to go do the thing, uh, and then it's like the big chase at the end. Uh, literally like story beat for story beat. And then later I learned that the director of photography on this, Dean Semler, was also the director of photography on Road Mm -hmm. Warrior. (laughs) And I thought, oh, (laughs) Jesus Christ, are you kidding me? Of course he was. So yeah, it makes perfect sense. But uh, as Road Warrior clones go, uh, I got to say it's probably the most entertaining one, maybe. It's it's good. They built a damn transforming boat. (laughs) That's true, that's true. it's a practical thing they built. The trimaran, uh, yeah. Trimaran that, like, the sail kind of comes out like it's Optimus Prime, you know? Yeah. Well, that's- I guess I don't quite give it credit for stuff like that because it's like, yeah, okay, it, it's great design and, you know, I don't know, practical set design, I guess is what you'd call it, yeah. but in service of what? 
something really fucking stupid. Yeah. Well, that's, and if you're going to do stupid, you may as well do it cheap. That's what I like about Road Warrior. That was relatively well, shoestring budget. Yeah. But that's the thing is they all went, oh, yeah, let's do this. And I think they set the initial budget somewhere around 35 or 50 million. I mean, it wasn't like, <laughs> it wasn't crazy. And then they get out there and they realize, oh, shit. It's like we're literally filming on water. And so everything has to get built. And then I think they were off the coast of Hawaii. And then they got hit by a hurricane so that a toll set that cost like $5 million or something to build got totally destroyed and they had to rebuild it. Yeah. I mean, they just the things just hit cost over and after cost over until I think the final budget wound up being like 170 something million, uh, which is just insane. Uh, and that's what everybody latched onto. The thing actually made money. Uh, I think it was like number 10 overall for the year, 95, and it actually turned a profit. Uh, no way. Yeah, it did. Yeah, eventually. Everybody talked about it, how it was like a a, a a complete bomb. Well, that's the thing. Maybe it just didn't make its money back because it cost so much. Yeah, I mean, well, you got to factor it. It made like $88 million or something domestically, and then like another 100 and something, uh, like $160 million or something worldwide. And then when you get video, et cetera, et cetera, then it sort of starts to make it all the way back. But uh it was by no means a, a financial disaster like everybody made it out to be. They didn't make a lot of money on it because the thing cost so goddamn much. But holy crap. Uh, my friend, they started with like a $50 million projection. I thought, uh, that's – Roger Corman passed on this because he thought $5 million was too much <laughs> to make it. <laughs> so I can't believe that someone would say, yeah, let's do it. Uh, he was going to make it in his neighbor's pool. Yeah, Exactly. He wasn't. He wasn't even going to make it in his own pool. He was going to make it in his neighbor's pool. Uh, so yeah, but uh, the best part too is that Kevin Costner plays a character called the Mariner who's got gills. So he, they call him a Mudo, uh, which leads into one of my favorite lines from Dennis Hopper in any one of his movies. He's like, "We're gonna get that icky freak," <laughs> and it takes you a second to go, "Oh, I get it. He's talking about fish." Oh, yeah, it's so dumb. But I w- I'm with the, the boat that he tools around on is the Exxon Valdez, yeah, yeah. which uh, broke open in Alaska several, <laughs> like a decade before. Like, and he's got a picture of the captain who was drinking on duty and caused the accident. And it's a framed picture and he's his hero. Yeah. It's like, that's a little on the nose for a reference we don't even get now. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. <laughs> but yeah, so it's the Exxon Valdez and for some reason, because it's a hundred, like 500 years in the future and somehow they still have petroleum in this boat that fuels all of their shit. Uh, yeah. It doesn't make any sense. And then they're all smoking like chimneys. It's like, where are they growing the goddamn tobacco? Because I guarantee they, you, to <laughs> 500 years in the future, Marlboro is no longer happening. Pretty sure they had filters on their cigarettes. Yeah, I, I exactly. Mean, where are they getting this shit? They aren't. Anyway. They aren't. Uh, and then I think dirt- from scavenging and like knocking over those <laughs> cruise ships I mentioned, <laughs> if they had just you know taken that route. Yeah. And nobody has scurvy. Uh, I just, yeah, the whole thing falls completely apart if you even scrutinize it even a little bit. Uh, but you know, whatever. Uh, and then I like how they were trying to make a statement about a serious subject, like, you know, the, the, the ice caps melting and everything flooding and they did it by making it an actioner that makes no sense. Yeah. Well, I love the fact that, uh, when it starts, you get the universal logo, which is the planet. And then. 
once the universal title disappears, that's still the planet. And then they show all the landmass start to disappear under the water. <laughs> that was my favorite part about the whole movie because I wasn't expecting it when I saw it. Got, got to give Universal credit for the the various fun ways they let people screw with their logo. Yeah, they, it is nice. Yeah. It is nice. Particularly the one that cost so much money, it nearly put them underwater. <laughs> ah! Literally. Yeah. Uh, and then... And then Koster goes on to make the postman? Uh, he did a couple in between, uh, but nothing major. But this was sort of the first knock on his career. Then people started to go, hmm, maybe he's not so much the golden boy. And then I think he went and made like 10 cup or some shit. Uh, and then thought, hey, Waterworld really kind of had some bad press and people kind of got on me about that one. I think I'm going to make another post-apocalyptic thing where I'm a sassy loner saving the world uh and then they do this thing called the postman based on the book by a guy named david brin where he basically yeah. uh the world it literally is uh my favorite movie about trump uh i think i've seen lately because it's just <laughs> the whole world turns to shit because of all these assholes with their guns uh and then it just becomes like a feudal system and and it is a superior film to Waterworld, i think uh, I do actually like the postman. It's not oh, God, bad. It's so it's, boring. It's yeah. Nothing uh, happens though. That's the only real problem. I, I like it because the main character is a coward, and that makes sense to me. You know, yeah. you have a guy whose whole life is uh, naps and sandwiches, <laughs> and 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 he just wants to continue with that. Yeah. And yeah, it's like the whole movie is basically trying to shake him out of his reverie, and he's like, no, no, this yeah. is this is dumb. He's not going to run away. So basically, uh, Will Patton plays a guy named General Bethlehem who runs this militia, army, whatever, and he's just a, an ass. And he basically is terrorizing uh, the Pacific Northwest in their little particular area. So all these towns have walls and shit, but he's the only one with rifles and cannons and a military, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and... They're based on this guy named Nathan Holm, who I guess started the militia that created World War III. So they keep calling themselves the Holnists. But every time I heard it, I think keep hearing Holness. I'm like, why are they calling themselves the Holness? What are they? Like, are they the complete something or other? It's just so irritating to me. <laughs> uh, but basically, Kevin Costner gets conscripted, uh, has the tussle, battle of wills, and then ends up escaping, and then finds a postman's uniform on a dead guy and a bag of mail and then uses that to get food and shelter at the next town he comes to. And then that intermittently starts a chain of hope that the American country will be restored all taking place, mind you in the year 2013. So put that in your <laughs> pipe and smoke it. <laughs> so, uh, but in 2020, we know there is no hope that the American country will be restored. And this yeah. is just fiction. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, basically, actually, if you haven't been paying attention, we're halfway down already. You know, it's not like we're suddenly doing worse. We're just (laughs) in the middle of it's like, like in 20, 30 years, they'll go, wow, they didn't even know they were in, you know, well, whatever they call it, you know, like the Great Depression. They didn't know they were in it while they were in it. But, Mm -hmm. well, my favorite thing about this is that they, they stage it like a Western. Uh, because that's just Kevin Costner's just got a heart on for westerns. I can just tell, and he wants to be John Ford uh, in his scope, 
And so you get these very uh, wide shots of country, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but the story is just so, oh, yawn, I don't care. Uh, uh, but let me ask you this, Eric, because okay. this is the main thing that bothers me more than anything about the movie, is that he, Kevin Costner's character is basically uh, asked to impregnate the woman character played by Olivia Williams because her husband mm-hmm. is sterile. So they call mm-hmm. him like a host father or whatever. Uh, the general comes in after this tryst and kills the husband. And then you find out that she's pregnant and she helps Costner escape when they have like a run in with the general. So then they hole up in this cabin, which is presumably over the winter, like the pass is snowed in, et cetera. She never yeah. shows as being pregnant, even when right. they leave, and then doesn't have the kid until after the whole movie is over. So basically, right. all of this revolutionary shit <laughs> with the Postman League, all these kids now connecting all these cities and towns, happens under nine months, correct? Right. Right. It doesn't make any sense to me. Okay. Well, let me just say this. It's still just The Postman. I mean, this is not great cinema. It's still a shitty movie. I'm saying it's better than Waterworld, okay? That's kind of like it's kind of like saying, you know, drinking your own pee is far superior to eating your own shit. You know, it's which it's it, not a big it, stretch. It's true though. Well, drinking your own pee is what happens in Waterworld. Yeah. But oh. But um uh but so yeah, so the timeline is all skewed in this and then they do a lot of uh, reciting a Shakespeare when the postman and the general are sort of having their I'm smarter than you cock fight. Uh, yeah. But they're all pulling out the most obvious Shakespeare lines. So obviously none of neither of these two men are very bright <laughs> because they're just spouting the populist numbers and then nobody else in the room gets it, so then they think they're the smartest guys in the room. I mean, it's just, it's everything about this thing is just so lazy. Lazy, lazy. <laughs> uh, but when the general screams cry havoc and let slip the dogs of war is his big aha moment. Like, I know Shakespeare, not like you know Shakespeare. It's like, I know come on, the original dude. Klingon. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, All I can think of, about. Yeah, it's kind of like Star Trek Six. They kept spitting out the, the Shakespeare <laughs> there as well. Yeah. So just just ridiculous. And then the kid who ends up taking the mantle of the postman when he disappears for the winter, uh, played by Lorenz Tate, he calls himself Ford Lincoln Mercury. Uh because <laughs> he wanted to drive cars, and he's and when he's telling Costner this in the town, he points to the car dealership sign, but it says Ford Mercury Lincoln. <laughs> like, why did you change the <laughs> the order of the word? These are the things that I think about when I watch this movie. I'm like, this is so ridiculous. I think because nobody wants to drive a Mercury. Yeah. You know, I yeah. mean, given the choice of the three, you'll go maybe Ford. Yeah. After that, oh, okay, a Lincoln. Yeah. And then, oh, uh, Christ, a Mercury. A Mercury. Uh, but I give him this. He's he's going to buy American. Yeah. That's- and then uh, Tom Petty shows up at the end, near the end, as like the- Hey, the, you're famous. Yeah. I guess as Tom Petty, right? Yeah, Tom yeah. Petty. Uh, so I saw his name in the titles when I saw the movie the first time, and I thought, oh, cool. And then I had to wait two hours and 50 fucking minutes <laughs> <laughs> to get four lines out of Tom Petty. I was so mad. So, god damn yeah. you, Kevin Costner. But, you know, 
uh, whatever. And then they, they end up winning. And then like 30 years later, the world is back to normal. And they go okay, from that, that, that really annoyed me. The <laughs> yeah. end where it's like, and everything's good again. Yeah. And, and then the statue and the, the statue. guy going, that was me. Cause it's a kid handing out a letter to basically 1990s clothes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Whereas before, during the postman years, they're all wearing what looks like uh, cobbled together pieces of, uh, I don't know, like quilts and things. I mean, the costume design is like, what year is this? It's like, You've only been under the post-apocalypse for like 10 years, people, by this mm. timeline, and yet you're all wearing nobody, shit. Yeah, nobody believes that before the apocalypse you were willingly wearing gingham dresses, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. there you are. Yeah, so the whole thing is goofy. Uh, but I will say this, that whereas Waterworld is a straight-up ripoff of The Road Warrior, uh, I do think that this one has a heavy heavy dose of beyond thunderdome for its structure yeah do you agree or disagree <laughs> i mean it's creepy uh, like you've got him i think it is in the in the whole yeah well let's see he's he's saving the people but he's saving the people in this in in road warrior as well well in this one he they, like he, he's wandering the desert and then he like we'll call the Pineview barter town and then when he winds up in the wholeness army <laughs> ah, okay and then he has yeah. to escape that uh and then he winds up in another like town with all the children it, which is like the postman they're all like kids i'm like wow this is, you're blowing my mind i'm dude. like this is so yeah. much like beyond thunderdome and then i'm thinking plan ain't got no plan i mean where's that li- where's that line of dialogue so uh but well, it's, it's in it's in it's in it's in Thunderdome. Yeah. Two men enter, one, <laughs> one man, man leaves. Uh, but I will say this: that this movie has the distinction of uh, being written <laughs> by uh, Brian Hel- Helgeland, uh, who also that same year wrote the adaption for L.A. Confidential, and so he's got the distinction of having an Oscar and a Razzie in the same year for two different movies. <laughs> Oh, Kevin Costner. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, neither of these are really worth watching. No, they aren't. But it's a weird thing to think that Costner did them so close together. Like, what is his deal with the post-apocalypse? Like, he has uh, to give them the- an excuse to make Westerns? I guess. I, uh, I think there is sort of a statement in there that society is broken and needs to be sort of jump-started in order, you know, it's like a, a, a cleanse the earth kind of approach, you know, yeah. to, to he's from the Midwest. He's had some church and I think he probably thinks that, yeah, a, a lot of this needs to be knocked out and then restarted. But okay. also hearkening back to some really jingoistic, you know, uh, American totally. ideal stuff. Right. Yeah. That's oh. also very Midwest. Yeah. yeah. Which is weird. Cause if you look at his other directorial efforts, like dances with wolves, which Everybody went Gaga over as a progressive sort of thing, but it's that's really at its heart is just a white savior tale. Literally yeah. every one of these movies now, Waterworld and, and Postman, that's literally the same thing. It's just instead of saving the natives, he's just saving more white people. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, there's nothing progressive about Maybe this he'll at be all. in Avatars 2 through 17. Oh, I'd save the blue people. Wouldn't that be yeah, wonderful? It, you know, it's, it's funny to think because that's the same, that's also the problem. Well, it's not the problem. It, 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 Mel Gibson has a a whole sort of 
preoccupation with saviors uh, mm-hmm. between Braveheart and Passion of the Christ. But then when you get to Apocalypto, he doesn't have a white savior. And so that's 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 the progressive move, considering yeah. you know how anti-Semitic that guy really is. Yeah, that's that's yeah that's 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 a, a much better take. Find a story where the Indians can actually be the heroes. And while we're at it, let's stop calling them Indians. I never say that. <laughs> I know. Yeah, but who's I woke did, now, I motherfucker? <laughs> yeah, anyway, I, I'm so I woke, did it and I felt stupid. <laughs> well, okay. Well, uh, final thought then, because I don't really think we can we can squeeze much more mustard out of either of these. But uh, of the three top like directors who also film themselves, so I'm talking Eastwood, Gibson, and Costner. Uh, who do you think, at least in the '90s, had the best movie? Ugh. Costner, I love I love Dances with Wolves. I will really? I will watch it anytime. Really? I love that film. Tatanka. I don't care about its problems. It looks beautiful. It's got uh uh that that brilliant uh soundtrack. Yeah. By it's John Barry. Great. Uh yeah. also director of photography on that, Dean Semler. So Yeah. Quit nothing it. not to like about that movie. <laughs> Okay. I mean, that felt like a setup to say Unforgiven was the best of those movies from the I 90s. I don't know. I like Unforgiven. No, the, I loved it when I saw it, but it didn't hold up for me. There is nothing about Clint Eastwood I like anymore. No. I, no. Just, I just loathe that guy's films. I didn't think Unforgiven. I thought that had huge problems. Yeah. And I was like, all right, well, let's see where you go from here. And they just got worse yeah. and worse. And now he just does biopics of people you don't care about. Yeah. Well, I think of the three of them, Costner gets a pass because he sort of has not been a giant asshole publicly. So he may be the worst person on the planet, but I don't know. Uh, whereas Gibson and Eastwood <laughs> but you are know both. That Mel Gibson and Clint Eastwood are. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So fuck so, them. Dances with Wolves wins. Yeah. So okay, out of out of Waterworld and the Postman. I know Eric says Postman. Uh, you were Waterworld, correct, Brian? Oh yeah. Okay. I was so bored by the Postman. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna have to. Long. I'm gonna have to go at Waterworld just because I can stay awake for that one. Um, yep. I I just I can't go with Waterworld because I did I did see it in the theater and I remember when it was done <laughs> thinking I think I'm stupider now. Yeah, that's really it's. You say biggest. that like it's a bad thing. I went and saw Tanny and the Teenage T Rex. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good yeah. lord. Uh, <laughs> that's. I got. That's what I'm you. I, I can't get now. down to that level. I got. I can't nothing. let that happen to I me. I got nothing. Yeah, I've got a fucking master's degree. I can't throw it all away on 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 really bad movies. That yeah. would kill my brain. <laughs> <laughs> well, any any closing thoughts? Because really, uh, we do a show about Costner movies that are too long, and then the podcast ends up being way too long. How does <laughs> yeah. that work? Uh, but any any final thoughts, closing arguments? Uh, what do you got? Who run Barter Town? <laughs> Master. That's all I got. He's Blaster. Yeah. Master Blaster runs Barter Town. <laughs> uh, okay. So clearly we're running thin on ideas. If you've got ideas for shows, you could you could email them to us at magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com or, or just hit us on Twitter uh, at MagHuge or on Instagram or our Facebook or or uh, to hear some of these other episodes we've been talking about you can go to our website uh, MagHuge.com M-A-G-H-U-G-E dot com and uh, check us out 
Uh, like us on your uh, social feeds and share us and rate us on the iTunes store and, and come back for another show next week. <laughs>